It's going to haunt my dreams for the rest of the night. <laughs> hey, now, it's the Mike and JD show, and I'm your host, Mike Gilbert, and I'm joined, as always, by JD by God Oliva. How are you doing, JD? Dude, you know what the craziest thing about being a teacher is? The end of the year, because everyone loses their goddamn mind. And when I say everyone loses their goddamn mind, there was a 14-person fight at my school yesterday. Nice. Did it get? Did it hit Twitter yet? Did it hit Instagram? Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's. I didn't see any, but the kids. Oh, okay. I I kept because it's right outside my class. I kept all my kids in my class. I'm like sit down, and because uh, <laughs> they all just want to, you know, it's video production. So of course these budding yeah. young filmmakers <laughs> wanted to bring it to. Actually, that's what started is like people talking on Snapchat, right? Yeah, that's the problem. And then then it got crazy after that. Then the parents, someone left parents in the building, so the parents of the kids were fighting each other in the building and then it got crazy and people like i think one of them had a gun so people were going crazy about that and we had to go under lockdown bullshit and then someone goes yeah i heard some kid od'd in the bathroom there were i heard there were 14 fights yesterday (laughs) like it was this was on facebook so like it went crazy and like the principal was a really good friend of mine and i was i talked to her like how you doing she's like it was a tough day yesterday i'm like yes yes it was a tough day and we just brought in a new coach like right out of college we got him a job do being on a security guard for now and then we're gonna move into teaching next year and he's got to break up fights already and stuff like that and i was <laughs> like oh dude i swear to god it's not normally this bad so yeah yeah kids everyone's ready for summer so one of the craziest end of the school year stories i ever well it's like the craziest for me anyway so my senior year i'm i actually so i, I grew up in california and I was there from, you know, birth until I was until like 1999 when I was a junior in high school. Right. But then my junior year, uh, we ended up moving to Missouri to a town called Mountain Grove, Missouri. And I, I go into high school there. Well, my senior year, it's like we're, we're getting ready to graduate. And I didn't know this was about to happen. But apparently, like there's a tradition where I, I, did, I participated in senior ditch day. Right. Like that was oh, a yeah. tradition. So, I that was Monday. Yeah. What I didn't know about was the senior prank. I just wasn't read in on that thing because um, I was kind of a newer kid there. I had a lot of friends, but I didn't really have like friends that were pulling awesome pranks. So I'm just sitting in class. Right. And keep in mind, like I was working ahead. So I only went to school part time my senior year. So I'm just like in homeroom. And this is, you know, in 2001 and we're in class and all of a sudden we just start hearing screaming like, girls screaming guys going holy shit and i'm like in my head i'm thinking columbine because that was still pretty fresh in 2001 because mm-hmm. I, I watched that on tv at Me my too. school and the, on the america one network right in, in homeroom so i'm like that's fresh in my mind so i'm thinking about going into lockdown well the teacher opens the door and you just see kids running past and they go what the hell's going on so he goes outside and some of us follow him out the seniors, a couple of the seniors, a couple of rednecks went and captured some possums and just let them loose through the school. And they were just running through the school, chasing kids. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is a great prank, but I'm scared shitless right now. Cause I'm not to get Columbine stuck in my head. That is absolutely <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, and this was like our school was just one giant building. So we all were like in the same building. So it was like a three-story building or something like that. So um, the whole bottom, the whole first floor was just kids running and screaming, being chased by possums. It was, uh, it was quite the scene, quite incredible. 
that. See, we're supposed. I never. I have never been to my old. Where I went to school, we didn't do a senior prank. And this school that I've actually coached at for years, but this is the first year, year I've been working here full time, is uh, they do a senior prank, and I have no idea what to expect. So it's coming. Yeah, yeah. it's coming. Yeah, it's definitely coming. Um, well, I I think Tony Khan is coming right now because AEW has a big TV deal <laughs> on the horizon. Um, and uh, so we we were we were gonna have a friend of ours on, but it doesn't look like he's gonna be able to make it. So. Okay. We're just going to go ahead and talk about it. So our friend Ryan Frederick, um, so he took to the board at some point earlier in the week, probably like maybe even it was over the weekend. I don't remember which day. The board's and a he terrible was, place for the record. It, it is. It's the Wrestling Observer Board. It's a cesspool. Don't ever go there. Yes. Um, but he, he went to the board, and there's a thread on there that kind of has been talking about AEW and Warner Media since Warner Media sold to um, Discovery there there's been an ongoing thread since that happened of people predicting doom people predicting success and then all the ups and downs of warner meter there's a whole thread about it it's like a hundred couple hundred pages at this point so he he went on there and he was just because aew collisions coming up and there were rumors about um all in going to max he went on there and hypothesized which is more of an educated guess he just kind of did some numbers talked to some people and made a prediction that they would be getting AEW's upcoming TV deal would be a couple hundred million a year spread out over the two shows um, for about five years. And it would be, you know, around a billion dollars over five years. That was his prediction, right? Well, then another friend of ours um, hits us up and was like, Hey, I think I got the numbers. It's a five-year deal about 1.1 to $1.2 billion. He told us that, and then that same figure made it over to Joe Lanza, Joe Lanza. Mm-hmm. wrestling discord. And he had the exact same numbers and he posted it on his discord. I don't know. He wasn't reporting that. He's like, this is what I'm hearing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, he's just, and he's just having a conversation with his audience. So, and Joe is not like a journalist. He's not a reporter. He's a, he's kind of like us. He's just kind of a, a, a fun guy that has a fun podcast. Right. But he, he also gets has scoops though. Too. He gets scoops. Yeah. He does get the scoops, but he doesn't really, he's not like no. Melter or Sab no. or any of those guys. He's not, he's not going to like tease, Hey, major scoop coming on the, the flagship this week. No, he's just going to like, Hey, we're having a conversation and we're shooting the shit and he'll just drop a scoop. That's kind of how he does it. Right. Mm-hmm. So he, he has the same numbers. And then that makes Ryan then go back to the board. Like, Hey, look, multiple people have this same number and this same figure, you know, we're, we're looking out. He gets a bunch of shit for it. Everybody's calling him out a bunch of nonsense. The guy just made a prediction. And now the prediction kind of looks like it's about accurate. And I think that he deserves a little bit of credit for that, for doing a little bit of homework and trying to come up with a number. And I think a lot of us were kind of already doing that anyway. And his number turned out to be, you know, uh, I I don't want to say accurate because the deal hasn't been signed yet and we don't know the numbers, but the numbers are out there, right? And it's 1.1 to $1.2 billion. I've heard it could even get up to $1.4 billion. With incentives. With incentives, but just, you know, he was getting some heat for it. Yeah. yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I have no idea if this is going to be an HBO Max um, thing or a Max is going to be included, if pay-per-views are included or anything like that, or if it's just the television product, the three TV shows that are across the Warner Brother um, properties. But I, I, I don't know what it all means. All I do know as if this is freaking awesome for AEW, and if you're a wrestling fan, you should be really happy right now. So I don't know if 
if you heard Observer Live today with Brian and, and Semp, he was um, Brian speculated there's a possibility that this number was floated out by WWE in an Ooh. effort to over again. I am in an effort to get fans talking about a one billion dollar deal, and then if AEW announces something smaller, they can you know it it downplays them. Right. So I would think that if that number was if that was accurate, and again, let's be honest, that is not beyond WWE. We talked about it last week and got a lot of views, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. We talked about it last week that they're not happy about WWE specifically. They're not happy about the Wembley thing because it's going to show out Clash the Castle. Oh, um, yeah. It's going to, it's it's not going to do the gate WrestleMania did, but it's going to be in a conversation. Um, and the TV deal in itself is not good for them because they want to be the only game in town. And it's hard to be the only game in town when your competition, who you're beating pretty handily at this point, to be honest with you, is succeeding. Yeah. Right. They'll cry poor. They'll cry foul. They'll cry underdog because that's just what they do, even though they're a monolith. So it's possible because we've seen them do stuff like this before. Right. Luke Coppinger. That came from yeah. Nikon. Like saying, oh, explain, they're explain the Coppinger thing real quick. Just I thought we talked about it know. last week, but I'll do it again. I, you know what? I meant to touch on it, and I listened back, and we never touched on it. We didn't. We didn't. Oh, no. Bad mm. podcast hosts. Um. <laughs> yeah. So Mike Coppinger, probably the I, I, the boxing reporter, right? You would you would say that? Um. Since Dan Rayfield left ESPN and just went to Substack, he is he is the number one boxing reporter and the worldwide leader in sports for ESPN. So I'd say he's right there at the top. Yeah, okay. So uh, he puts out a thing right the first day of AEW's pre-sales saying, oh, here in AEW is going to scale Wembley down to 40,000. What a shame. Not going to be like when uh, 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 Tyson Fury fought. Was it Deontay Wilder? Deontay, Deontay Wilder, yeah. Yeah. Uh, last summer with 90,000 people there. Nothing like a fight. I'm paraphrasing. It was pretty close to that, though. Mm-hmm. And then Tony Khan went apeshit saying that's bullshit. That comes from Nick Khan. <laughs> By the way, it was Coppinger's agent before. Yeah. before. So And then Coppinger never copped up to it. Left it up. Um, so this is kind of what they do, right? Yeah. Nick Khan, especially really good at massaging a message with the mainstream. So it's, it's entirely possible that that is a fake number. However, I'm of the mind when, remember when they thought that Mercedes Monet would debut for AEW, and as the show got closer, it started coming out. It's not going to be here. 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 And people are like, no, there's, they're working us. They're working us. And it turned out it wasn't her. I would like to think that because Tony Khan is online, as we're all terminally aware. I would like to think that if this was not accurate, or at least in the ballpark, he would have his people saying it's not accurate instead of saying nothing. Yeah. Now there could be under NDAs, but there's ways to circumvent things. Uh, dude, I don't know. So I watched Dynamite last uh-huh. night, and Tony Khan looked really fucking stoked about the announcement that he's going to he have did. next week. Like he looked like he was like emotionally, like just pumped up, amped, excited. I thought at one point he might cry tears of joy, um, and there's a little bit of nervousness in him because you know he wants to tell the secret, but he can't. Um, I I think I I think that if the numbers aren't exactly what what we're hearing. It's. I think it's going to be pretty damn close. I think so, right? Too. And and like a lot of times when these numbers are floated out, you know, one side might be floating them out versus the other side. You have leverage and negotiations and yada yada yada. 
but whatever it is, it always ends up being in that same ballpark. It does. And then it, there, and there's typically parts of the deal that, that don't make the rumor meal that we end up finding out after it's already mm-hmm. said and done. So I'm like, as kind of like a TV business nerd that I have become, I've been, I've been reading, you know, periodicals about, you know, Hulu and Disney plus merging into one app and you know, the, the issues with Paramount and Viacom and all that stuff. I, I think this is just incredible. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Um, you know, WBD, we keep thinking they're dying and they just keep getting bigger. Right. And they, and they, they, and it seems like to me, they're about to strike a million dollar deal. But the big question is, is that going to include max? And we talked about it last week and we still can't get an answer one way or the other as to whether or not Max is going to be a part of this thing. Um, but for a, a billion dollars for, let's be honest, for AEW, that is um, second place by a long shot to a WWE distance. in this distant second place by a long shot. Um, I would think that if Warner is willing to spend a billion over five years, that two the two shows that are not likely to be breaking a million viewers more often than not are not really getting a significant amount of ad rates. I would think they would want pay-per-views included in that into their streaming deal. I would think I would assume they would want pay-per-views and I would assume they want the library. Yeah. Cause if you take a look at the ESPN plus model mm-hmm. that what has been so successful for them was them bringing over um, the UFC all the UFC content to include the pay-per-views. Now, if, if Max is going to make you pay, you know, $16.99 a month and then charge you $40 for a pay-per-view, I don't know that that's going to work, but you're going to have to have some type of premium live exclusive content on that app for it to be able to work. Wrestling fans are not MMA fans. And no. I do think WWE is going to want to move into that eventually. Mainly, I think I just because Endeavor's already doing that and making a lot of money with UFC, I just see that being a possibility. AEW is different boat altogether. And like you talked about how ESPN Plus is basically surviving on UFC. Peacock's, let's be honest, Peacock is surviving on WWE. Yeah. Right. Peacock, this this marriage has been perfect for both companies, right? It just it it blew up WWE's visibility. It's helping Peacock grow, right? Peacock is there's still a lot, still not making money. No, but but the most they're playing the long game. They are playing the yeah. long game, and Comcast can afford to play the long game. Yeah, but it's um it's spooky. I don't think that it's been bad for either company, to be honest with you. So I can see. We talked about this last week. I can see Warner saying, okay, we're going to play the same deal. And if you mm-hmm. get half, maybe even a third of what Peacock's getting with WWE, you're okay. Because what yeah. else? Not a whole lot WWE's work doing is working right now. And I know people like, oh, AEW's going to get canceled. Look at these ratings. I mean, <laughs> they finished they finished ninth last night and had one of their best ratings of the year against stiff competition. Yeah, yeah. NHL, NBA, and Donald freaking Trump was back on television. I would say this was like his first like public. This was a CNN town hall, but this is like his per- first public like debate type of forum where he's doing a question and answer session since he lost the election. Well, since right? he got convicted of rape too, but yeah, yeah that's that's well, neither here nor well, there. Let, hold on, um, hold on. Let, he was held liable. We got liable. We gotta say that, Li- held like, accountable, just, not liable. Held accountable. Yeah. Yeah, a, well, well, he, they were said he's. They said he was no. They, the term that they're using is liable. That he oh, is liable. liable for damages. Liable. So he had to, 
no liable for damage for uh for five million. This is not a political podcast, but if we're gonna say something, we've got to make sure that we're saying it correctly before and somebody us much like o- and sends it to him. Much like OJ <laughs> Simpson in a civil court lost. Yeah. It's very similar. Anyway, yeah. uh yes, that's a monster. So it was a monster. And you look at those if you someone compared, I was I think it was on the VOW Discord, someone posted the uh the ratings, the the um the show buzz daily ratings from this week and from a year ago. Dude, and we talk about contraction in TV ratings. Not this week. Everything was yeah. significantly higher. Basketball was almost double what it was wow. this time last year. And Vanderpump Rules is, is doing great too. I don't even know what that is. All I know is it I, does really I, honestly, well. I don't know what it is, and I'm I don't care enough to go find out. I just know that it's really popular. Yeah, it's killing with females. So hey, kudos to yeah. the Vander Pumpers. So uh this is great for AEW. Yeah. Tony Khan won. Like you think about it, over the years, how many people have come along and tried to create major national wrestling, right? On their own. Like Joe Pedicino, uh, Paul Heyman. Who else am I thinking of? Eddie Gilbert. Dixie Carter. Like Dixie Carter uh, yeah. Andrew McManus. Like so many guys have come along over the last 40 years and tried to create a national wrestling promotion. Every the only one who was able to do it was Ted Turner, and that was just because he was Ted freaking Turner. Yeah, and every single one of them failed. How, how long did WCW last? On w- so when Ted Turner took over to the moment it died, how long did it last? Thirteen years, not quite twelve okay. and a half years. Twelve and a half years. Twelve and a half years, and then Nitro was on the air for what five and a half, six years? Mm. Uh, Ninety-five to two thousand one, so not six quite years. Six, five and a half years. Right. Five and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because it was September of '95 to March of 2001, right? Mm-hmm. So five and a half years. It was five and a half years where they actually were somewhat competitive. Um, well, Four. actually, no, it was only a couple year, couple year period. They were somewhat competitive, but three. Once Hogan got there in '94, they were kind of like they became a bigger deal instantly, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want, if you no. want to count like ninety. They, kinda, they did. So they did. It. They did it some good buy rates. They did some good. You know, at, they sold at, some houses at first. At first, they yeah. did okay. When the when Hogan first comes in, they do a monster buy rate, and then it quickly goes back to what it was. By the time before yeah. the NWO comes around, they're below pre-Hogan pay per view sale pay per view numbers. Right. Right. The best thing that ever. I'm, I just started listening to the Nitro book again just today when I was mowing the lawn. I just started listening to it again for the first time in like four the, years. The, the Nitro book, or was that the Nitro? WCW? Not that we Nitro said, there was okay. the Nitro. I haven't book. listened to the I haven't listened to the Nitro book yet. I need to oh, listen to that. Highly recommended. I'll tell you. I'll, yeah. I'll mention why I'm doing that later. Um, okay. Highly recommended. Really good book. Uh, oh, Dead cool. the WCW is great because it's it's Brian and you get Brian's yeah. smart acidness the whole time. But this is different. This is a very different take on it. Very very sober. Um, you know, very business oriented. So I, I think you'd like it actually. Yeah. But yeah, so WCW existed for twelve years. And for half of that existence, it just kind of floated, right? Yeah. Tony Khan did it. He did it. He created a national. And again, only a billionaire could do it. Only Mm -hmm. a billionaire could do it. Well, you know, when Ted Turner wanted to get back into pro wrestling in the early 2000s, they were like, you were going to need to put up like a couple hundred million dollars. And then you're going to have to take losses and you're going to have to stick with it. And he said he didn't want to do it. So it it was going to take somebody like that. They had that kind of equity that could actually lose money um, in the beginning and to make it look like a major league production um, in order for a, a 
television station like TNT and like TBS that even take a shot, take a chance on it. It had to look big time. He had to have the right stars and he had to have the financial backing to be able to withstand just in case it failed that he would be okay. Right. It had to have somebody like that with some balls. It's not just the financial backing because live golf has financial backing, but yeah. the Saudis haven't been able to massage a real TV deal. Tony Khan had connections, right? Cause yeah. Tony Khan's got that NFL money. He's got that NFL yep. pedigree. So he was yep. able to leverage that into getting, uh, I almost called it nitro into getting dynamite primetime cable from jump. Right. Yeah. And like the market was really wanting that WWE was bad in 2019. It wasn't good at all. So they needed the market really wanted something. And Tony Khan and those guys came along right place, right time. And there have definitely been some growing pains along the way, but that's pro wrestling, man. Like at this point, at this point, AEW has outlived Dusty Rhodes booking Crockett. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Absolutely. That's that's why they've outlived. They're they're close to outliving Bischoff booking Nitro. They right? they're getting close. Twenty nineteen is when they started. We're coming up on four years of Dynamite, right? And so, they so, and they're about and they're on the verge of signing a five billion dollar deal. They will absolutely. I I know I know oh, Bischoff yeah. took over in ninety three, but I'm talking like when Nitro started. Nitro, he's they've already done it because Bischoff yeah. uh, Bischoff didn't make it four years. Bischoff got fired in the in the summer of 99 so bishop yes. was almost four years we we're we're we will be at four years of aew content this month this month is four yeah. years we will hit four years of dynamite in october so yeah, yeah tony uh tony, when the when they were when ted actually cared about what paying attention to what bishop was doing it's about to eclipse that and like it's crazy to think about that because i know for us that was our youth so i mean it's just yeah. it seemed like wcw and nitro was just a part of life and in reality it's a blink of an eye you know mm -hmm. yeah hey before before we transition so a lot of people were giving heat to ryan and i don't want to spend too much time on this but there was one guy specifically a guy named matt coon uh matt matt coon is just he's one of those conrad thompson guys who really 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 wants to be a podcaster so bad he's had podcasts with dutch mantel he just recently had one with dax he started another one where he's slurping journalists. I don't know, but he's he's doing it and he's trying to grift using the ad free show's grift of being anti David, anti Brian Alvarez, right? Like the whole premise of the show is take their material, their hard work, and then just to try to shit on it, right? And and try to like I don't know what I don't know what their deal is and what this guy's deal is, but now he's coming after Ryan because Ryan's connected to the Observer Network. Matt Coon is an unkept piece of shit. I don't have any respect for Matt Coon, and I don't think that he's even be uttering Ryan Frederick's name. Well, that's the thing is Conrad Thompson is, is a very smart businessman, and he saw what you know the Bruce Pritchard stuff is the best. And Bruce, like, oh, nobody talked to Dave. Bruce talked to Dave. Bruce was Dave's yeah. source in WWE yeah. like for a decade. They're actively but lying, and everybody knows about it. It's kind of like what I saw in that town hall last night. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you said this wasn't a political podcast. Uh, um, not, yeah. no. But like I said, yeah. So Matt Coon is following the grift, like you just said. These Conrad's podcasts are based on old men who really miss their youth and have to rely on it was better in my day. 
And Meltzer yeah. is the perfect boogeyman to all that because he's the same guys that post memes like it was my favorite is there's this meme. It's like it was better in the day when we didn't have dirt sheets. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. We didn't worry about this, this and this. We just had fun. And it's a picture of a little kid watching TV. It's like, yes, it was better when you were a kid and didn't know what was going on. We all love yeah. our youth. We all love the innocence of youth. That's exactly what their entire grift is based on. It's guys with a little bit of money who miss their childhood. And they have to have the bad guy, and the bad guy is Dave Meltzer. It's a shame that, that Jim Cornette and another piece of shit, Brian Last, has jumped on that whole bandwagon, that whole bandwagon of like, you know, we're gonna go after the top guys. And and Ryan takes strays because quite frankly, he's doing what a lot of these guys want to do, right? Yeah. Ryan writes for the observer, the observer newsletter every week. Ryan is a guy, he he's you know, he gets his tweets get put on UFC major UFC shows, mm -hmm. right. Ryan is a player, and Matt Coon would love nothing more than to be a major name in podcast, but he just can't. He's been trying it for years. And well, it's hard to do when you're a talentless hack like him, who everybody knows is grifting. Like you're like Conrad's stepbrother, right? You're using Conrad's play, but Conrad's talented. Conrad's a great podcast host. Yeah, I know people is. don't like him. No, and you know what? And and in my experience, he's a really nice guy. He, when I started podcasting, I didn't know shit. I didn't know anybody. I DM'd him on my very first podcast. He came on as my guest, and I didn't even know how to do a podcast. And I just recorded a podcast with him, asked him a series of questions, and he put up with my shit. So, like, I, like, I, I get it. But the whole thing with Bruce Pritchard just blew up because Bruce was actively lying, and people thought it was hilarious because he can do funny impressions, and he can Right. And, and Bruce can tell good stories. So that that worked. And then the same formula, you brought over Eric Bischoff, Bischoff, who had a podcast with Nick Houseman, right? On that podcast oh, with Nick, God. a terrible podcast. Terrible but on that, show. he was always complimentary of Alvarez and, and Meltzer. They, mm -hmm. they were, he would talk about the times that he talked with them, that he used to do Meltzer's podcast and stuff like that. Well, then he saw the money, he saw the dollar signs over at Ad Free Shows, went over there, did a podcast with Meltzer, and day freaking one. They started the grift again. They started the formula that Bruce Pritchard had made famous where tell funny stories. Bischoff can't be funny, but, and then shit on Meltzer, just say Meltzer's lying. This is what really happened. And then it comes back. And then the more he talks, the more you find out that Dave actually told the truth. That's the gimmick, right? They tried to do it with Jeff Jarrett, but Jeff Jarrett's too nice of a guy. And mm -hmm. Jeff Jarrett is in, is in recovery. So he's not going to be actively lying like that because that's not part of his, his uh, ideology. He tried it with Jim Ross, tried it with Tony Schiavone. It just didn't work, and now this guy, Kuhn, is just hopping on the bandwagon trying to do the same shit and got Dax Harwood involved in it, trying to get Dax some extra cash. And I'm really glad that Tony Khan pulled the plug on that shitty podcast he had. Yeah, because all that thing was doing was – the funniest part is these guys who cry about, man, I need to take care of my mental health. This is driving so much problems to my mental health. While their entire their entire business is based around making – is based around doxing, essentially, famous yeah. people. Right. Yeah. That's what they want. They just want people to fuck these nameless avatars to just go after Dave and Dave will give every single one of them oxygen. Yeah. Right. And just yeah. Dave, <laughs> how Dave wants to run Twitter is, is Dave's business. But I mean, like I have seen more of the dumbest motherfuckers on the planet. Thanks to Dave Meltzer's Twitter than anywhere <laughs> else in the world. And it just yeah. astounds me week in and week. I wouldn't know who WWE Gareth is if it weren't for Dave Meltzer retweeting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah. I, uh, Speaking of too much oxygen, I'm not going to give this guy any more oxygen. Yeah, we're done. If you got a problem with Ryan, you yeah. you got you can eat shit. So, Fuck off. Yeah. 
Um, Which I Don Callis. Notes. Fuck, fuck Matt Coon was, was my, <laughs> my note for this week. Yeah. So uh, Don Callis turned on Omega in an epic angle. Um, and if you want to know more about the history between Don Callis and Kenny Omega, head over to patreon.com slash fight game media, because JD and I are going to do some bonus content. We're going to, we, we have decided it's taken us a while to figure out exactly what we want to do for our bonus content on the Patreon. We still like being a part of the Patreon because we still like to get paid money. So, and that's, that's what brings in the dough. So we have decided that what we're going to do is historical content because mm-hmm. that's a passion of both of ours. We share that passion. We love the lapsed fan. We love between the sheets. And I used to love a lot of the Conrad Thompson podcast. So we're going to do that, but we're going to do it in our way, mm-hmm. right? Where we're not going to, we're not going to lie and shit on people that don't deserve it. We're just going to tell the story and then talk about our memories of it. And the first one we're going to talk about, um, it, we're not going too far back into history. We're going to go back to 2020. We're going to talk about um, JD's interview with Don Callis, which ultimately set the path for Don Callis to A, be on Dynamite, and B, bring Kenny Omega into Impact Wrestling. So we're going to save that talk for the Patreon. So hold on, JD. So I guess my question to you, because we don't have a ton of time, we're going to cut it short a little bit today, um, is Callis turned on Omega in an epic angle. I love the angle. It was fantastic. What do you think? What are your thoughts? Do you think he is going to be joining the BCC or could we see him be a part of the United Empire? I think I think he's going to the United Empire, which is weird because the United Empire already has a short, uh, a short like Takalis is pretty tall. But, you know, Lord Gideon Gray is rather short and bald. So we're upgrading. But uh, I I think that that's where we're headed just based on his Twitter. Right. Just based on what. And believe me, believe me, Don likes to work via twitter trust <laughs> yes. me we'll have more on that later but yes. um i think that again i was on our discord saying i don't know man I, i've been very bullish on kenny and will osprey at at wembley right yeah. because i'm like why are you gonna i mean i'm of I, and again i'm on an island it seems like i am of the mind that will osprey's new japan contract is up soon and i'm of the mind why why would you give this guy, a gigantic platform in 80,000 people cheering him at Wembley Hall at Wembley Stadium. Stadium. Wembley Stadium? Thank St- you. I couldn't St- think of what it was yep. Um, only to have WWE come in and sign him for a bunch of money. Yeah. That's- I am on, I am on an Island. I think that's stupid. And everyone has told me that I am in fact a dumbass. So, <laughs> well, I want them to run Omega and Osprey too. So I'm, I'm one of those guys that don't, I don't think you're stupid for thinking that, but I'm like, if, if, you have either it on paper or you just like have a really good feeling. Like you got to, you got to almost guarantee that, you know, that Osprey is signing with you and not signing with WWE um, and wrestlers lie. They will grift. They will rip you off and him main eventing Wembley stadium against Kenny Omega in front of 80 to 85,000. I don't know how much they're going to end up with 80-ish. in the biggest in the biggest show in the wrestling show in the UK in 30 years. Um, I think that would make you a valuable commodity to WWE. A hundred percent. Although yeah. it's funny. Dave was talking about on the show. He's like, you know, you got to have the moment with Davey that, that, that moment made Davey specifically the Bret Hart match. You know what I just found it funny. Hey Mike, what happened two months after that match? Uh, Davey got suspended and uh, from he lost the Intercontinental title to Shawn Michaels on Saturday Night Main Event, 
and he just yep yep and he just he just ended up disappearing after that turns out he had gotten suspended and then i think like a year later maybe a year or maybe six months later he ended up in wcw three february debuts in february at super brawl three okay yeah there you go so yeah three months later he did yeah yeah crazy it is so part of me i just i find that ironic like you know they talk about how davy became this huge star in the uk and it's like he was never really a main event. I mean, he did. He had a run with Shawn Michaels, right? When when in, business in 90, was six in ninety six. He oh, had yeah, two six, matches right. in ninety six during that during that thing. It didn't really do much business because Shawn Michaels wasn't a great drawing champion in ninety six. He no. did better later, but ninety six he was not a great draw. But Davy was never the main event guy. But that is one of those moments that gets replayed over yes. and over and over. And WWE likes to retell history to mm-hmm. say that that moment made Davy Boy Smith this all-time legend. And that's not the case. <laughs> In reality, it was the springboard of Bret Hart becoming the champion. Yes. Because yeah. Bret wins the belt <laughs> like three weeks later. Bret's the champion. Yeah. Yep. Right? So, I mean, like, it's just. I, I enjoy their. I don't enjoy their revisions history. Actually, it infuriates me. But this one in particular amused me because, like, we talk. Well, we need Davison. Well, we need the Davy moment. It's like, yeah, but Davy was again. He probably drew well in Europe and was a star in Europe after that. But no one ever really booked him as a main, like a, a constant main eventer from then on. I mean, he bounced around quite a bit. He was with WCW for less than a year and then resurfaced with WWF in '94 SummerSlam. I remember I was watching. I was in the. Yep. I was in the crowd, and then he's just kind of there, and then. He's not really a main eventer. He's in a tag team with Luger. Then he was in a tag mm-hmm. team with Owen. And then it just he was just kind of a guy. Yeah. He was he was one of those guys that WWE WWF at the time, they just they just kept repackaging him over and over again. Right. He comes back, he's got the long dreadlocks. You know, he had his WCW run that didn't go well. No. WCW run was not a success. He comes back and then, yeah, he, he does the Luger stuff and he, then he ends up turning keel and he went back to WCW. That also didn't work out because it fucked up. Really died. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then he came back, he came back wearing jeans and all jacked again. And then he ends up uh, getting canned again and he died shortly after that. So like he, like that was not the springboard for Davy boy Smith to say the least. But that doesn't mean that has to be Osprey's story. No. So if he does main event this thing, Osprey, if you know, if things line up right, because he's a much talented, much more talented wrestler than Davy Boy. Uh, although Davy Boy is one of my favorites of all time, um, I would say he's a better promo than Davy Boy. Although, like I said, Davy Boy still, I love, I love everything that he did. Um, he is younger than Davy. Well, actually, no, Davy Boy died really young. Now that I think about it, but. You know he's he's still he's still really young. He's a guy that could be really something for them. He's he's fantastic. So um I I I think that if they could figure it out and that Osprey Osprey with Callus in his corner versus Omega at all in would be the way to go if they could figure out what happens with Osprey after that. Do you know how old Davy Boy was when he died? 42? 43? 39. No crap. Dude, I'm 40 right now. Holy crap. 43 like yeah. yeah and that mo- he was 30 davy boy smith was 30 when he had that moment in wembley hall wembley i keep saying hall wembley stadium what's will oh, wow. what's what what's will now? he's like what's he's will? like 30 he's like the same age so it's like yeah. the same age wow that's yeah. so crazy yeah that's that's insanity dude people age differently well it's also probably the steroids yeah well yeah this and then the hard drugs and the booze yeah. and the partying the which it doesn't appear 
that the talent are doing that stuff. I mean, some of them still do roids, but they're not going crazy on the partying and the crazy lifestyle that they had in the eighties and nineties. It just isn't the same because 40 year old guys look like they were 60 back then. For real. When I was, when I was sad, well, it's funny because some of those guys did look really old at the time. Right. And then like, you look at Savage. Savage looked really good at 40. Like when Savage yeah. is 40, he's still in. I get why he, why he was like, I could still go, mm-hmm. you know, and he was and with WCW. You could still go because Savage is the except Hogan looked old when he was 30. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he looked old when he made evented, uh, not made evented, but he wrestled Andre in the seventies. Yeah. He just had that receding hairline, but he, when he went to WCW from WWF, he actually dropped like, you know, 70 pounds or something like that. And was lean and was like, wow, Hulks are looking good. I thought he actually looked really good. And then, and then of course, once the steroid stuff went away, he ballooned back up to over three bills, but, um, <laughs> then he looked really old and he couldn't move anymore. Um, Hey, real quick, uh, WWE, man, I just wanted to give them a shout out because that show they did over the weekend in Puerto Rico for Backlash, I thought that whole thing was incredible. I I just loved that show. And I know that it was 99% it was the crowd. That's okay because they gave the people what they wanted. Those people had so much fun, and I had so much fun watching it, Um, specifically Bad Bunny. I got to tell you, I don't know shit about Bad Bunny's music. I don't, and that's – not because I'm a racist, just because I'm old and out of touch. Like, I don't know modern music, right? Anything that's come out in the last 10 years, I'm just like my dad. I hate it, right? But he <laughs> he is such a celebrity. He's such a megastar. Those people love him. It was just so incredible watching his match against Damian Priest and then bringing out Carlito and Savio Vega and doing all the stuff. Like, I just really enjoyed it, man. What did you think? Write this down, Mike. It was okay, absolutely – it... write it down. Got my pen. It was absolutely awesome. Absolutely I really, awesome. I really enjoyed the show, and like yeah. I think that's the best way to consume WWE is just to watch some of the premium live events. They're not pay per views because you're not paying per view. Um, I, I, the crowd was unbelievable. Right, Puerto yeah. Rican fans are are notorious for being just a super lively, wild crowd. These guys had so much fun. Bad Bunny clearly loves wrestling clearly yeah. loves wrestling because he doesn't treat it as a joke he was out there taking it seriously he was having fun the puerto rican lwo shirts were a stroke of genius mm-hmm. right i was like this is this was a good this was a good show like i really that's what wwe is at these long breaks between matches so you can go pee and like you know i could have a conversation <laughs> yeah. and i could stop paying attention yeah. for a little while i'm not as actively involved in watching those shows like i am at wwe or with aew but i mean I don't know. I had, I, I enjoyed it. Worked my five <laughs> bucks on Peacock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm a Peacock premium because um, I, I like to watch the TV shows and I hate their commercials. Their, their commercials are horrendous. We were watching a show about uh, Jesus. They have some religious shows on there yeah, and are. all they did. And then like right in, but like at the commercial break, when Jesus is about to heal somebody, some like, like bizarre commercial came on. And I'm just like, this just doesn't fit the mood that we're trying to have here. So I, I immediately just like, no, I'm, I don't want commercials anymore. And I, I bumped it up to nine 99. <laughs> I so appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate using Jesus. He, one of Jesus miracles as a cliffhanger to get you back from the commercial. Like <laughs> yeah. that's good booking is what that is. <laughs> they, they definitely, they definitely got me. They did de- like, Hey, we ruined your experience with this religious show that you and your wife are trying to enjoy. And, uh, cause they played clips of it at church. So 
we found out it was on Peacock, so we wanted to watch it, and then <laughs> they they messed it all up for me That's with those hilarious. stupid commercials. So yeah, <laughs> no, I I'm yeah. not I would not be religiously moved to to spend spend the full thing on Peacock. I am in fact a cheap ass, and this Max thing of what I'm hearing, I will. I'm going to be paying for like double the ads if it brings yeah. the price down. I want more ads because they're like <laughs> yeah. talking like 20 bucks a month for this I, max. I that's thought crazy. This is, I thought it was 16.99, man. That's that's wild. That's like, that's like 20 bucks. But yeah, that's yeah, that's a spicy yeah. meatball. Yeah. Um. Our our old buddies at Impact Wrestling they had some good news. So this New Japan, yeah, New Japan they were headed this summer to uh, Wagga Wagga. Or Wagga Wagga, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. New New South Wales, Australia. Um, they were going to do a tour there, and they were going to have a tournament. It was going to be a whole thing. Well, they had to pull out of that. So Impact got the gig. Uh, it's being funded by the local tourism board of Wagga Wagga, um, which is like the funniest sounding name for a town. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, from June 30th to July 1st. It's, it's two events over four days. Conrad Thompson will also be doing some stuff. It's going to be kind of like a an Australia Starcast type of deal. Um, it's going to air on uh, on on Fight TV. And look, I, I think this is incredible for them because when I started watching when Anthem purchased it, and I started watching Impact again, like the like the early shows, they were paying people to come to those shows. They had ads in Toronto for like the, at the local Toronto Craigslist or whatever hiring people for like 50 bucks a pop to come in and cheer during the shows. So like, this is a big step up for them, for them to get paid to go to Australia and do a tour, I think is awesome for those guys. So congratulations. No, that's one of the biggest things that impacts had like, again, partner promotion. I'm sure new Japan helped clear some doors for that. Yeah. Right. They couldn't do it. So they brought impact in. I think that's fantastic for impact. Um, I do. I enjoy the names of Australian cities and just Australian words in general. <laughs> that Simpsons gag that they they did is just it entertains me greatly. Starcast is going down there, huh? Well, I don't think they called it Starcast, but it's like it's like that type of event. And Con Conrad will be there doing one man shows, I think, and Q and A's. So around the time of the first All Out, I think I told you this story. But I'll tell it on the show. Um, yeah. I, Notorious JD Oliva. I saw the price of. Or uh, Starcast, I'm like, oh, I can't afford that. So I DM'd Conrad Thompson. I'm, you know, videographer. Said, how would you like to have your show filmed? And he was like, I'm listening. So I told him how I would do it. I didn't hear anything back. All of a sudden, Starcast is a thing, and they're working with the Fight Network. So I like to think so me being a cheap ass helps spur that on to being created. So he did that to you. He did that to another friend of ours, and I'll tell you his name after we get oh, done I know. recording. We've, we've had oh, we've you know. this before. I know this one. Yeah. Oh, okay. But um, and I'll tell it, and then we'll we'll go ahead and uh, we'll sign off here because uh, then we have to go to the the Patreon. But um, so a friend of ours uh, wanted to um, work for ad free shows, doing kind of their social media and a lot of their marketing and stuff like that. Had a meeting with them. He did a. Um, he did a full presentation, like a plan, a layout on how he would do it, and yada yada. It just blew their doors off, right? And they said, "Absolutely, uh, you're. We, we think we're going to bring you in. I think you're hired." And yada yada yada. Well, then they ended up ghosting him for a couple weeks, and so he's reaching out, and like they just kept ghosting him, and they said, "Oh well, Conrad hasn't really made his decision, right?" They finally reach out to him, so he's waiting and he's waiting, and he needs this job, right? This is what he does for a living, and so he's waiting and he's waiting, and he finally reaches out to them, and they all block him, right? And then they start using his ideas on social media. 
and start doing all the things that he said that he would do. They started doing it. So they basically had a meeting with him, stole all of his ideas, and then never hired the guy. That's uh, that's ad free shows. That's uh, those guys for you. And well, I, cool. I like, yeah, I, I don't know that Conrad had anything to do with it, by the way. That could have just been those guys setting that whole thing up and ripping off our friend. But that did happen. Absolutely. That's way worse than mine. Mine was, hey, I had this idea and I didn't have the scope that that <laughs> they did. I was just trying to finagle myself some free tickets and uh, they did it way better than I could have ever thought of. But uh, that's a pretty effed up story on the other end, man. I believe yeah. it. Speaking of effed up, real quick before we sign off, Impact is now selling NFTs. Um, that is a scam. Don't buy them. That is a money laundering scam. Um, don't, don't ever, don't ever, ever, ever purchase an NFT. It is a waste of money. It is stupid. You're telling me in 2023, after it's been exposed, now impact is jumping on the NFT bandwagon. Yeah. Everybody two years ago was doing this. NFL Uh was doing it. NBA, WWE had NFTs and then it all, all got exposed as a scam. It's a GIF on your phone. It means nothing. And now they're getting involved. TNA, LOL. I mean, that's so that's so fitting the company, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so it's so on brand. It's perfect. I'm really glad that um, I never bought an NFT. I never got involved. Is Shaq being sued for something about NFTs or something like that? It's probably, yeah, probably. The whole thing yeah. was just a a big a big scam. So, um, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, now impact. So they had some really good news that we got to talk about, and I was excited for them. And then all of a sudden, they announced that they're selling NFTs now. So congratulations, Impact. You have ruined the goodwill that you got um, earlier in the week. Impact, <laughs> man. Hey, in, in a nutshell, we still in, brace. In a, we should we should actually have a, the segment of the show called Brace for Impact, where we talk about impact just for good, just for old times' sake. Well, we could, but I'm also probably going to be reviewing the premium events on the weekends for the Patreon using the Brace for Impact <laughs> deal. But yeah, every now oh. and then we'll, we'll, we'll do a seg. We'll do a seg. But hey, we, we've gone over our time limit for today. Everybody head over to patreon.com slash fightgamemedia where JD and I will be uh, talking some uh, Don Callis and Kenny Omega. All right, everybody. Bye. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Mike and JD show. We got some bonus content for you here today. So uh, JD and I have decided that uh, for Patreon exclusively, we're going to do some deep dives into some of the biggest stories in the history of wrestling. And a lot of what we're going to do is going to be based off of some of uh, JD's articles in the past. And then we'll, and then if you have ideas for stuff for us to cover, it doesn't have to be one of JD's articles. We just have the source material ready to go. And this is something that we've been wanting to do for a long time. Um, like uh, if you listen to the free feed, uh, our show this week, we, I did say that we're, look, we're big laps fan fans. We're big between the sheets fans and some of the Conrad Thompson shows. We're not going to be doing those shows. We're different guys. We're going to do it in our way, but we're going to do some historical deep dives, man. And we're really excited about it, man. I I'm when we were talking about what we could do for a Patreon, right? Cause we wanted to contribute something that was us. Right. And yeah. we're both, I think, I don't think it's crazy. We're, we're both bigger fans of history than we are of, of modern day stuff. Right. I don't think I'm out of school saying that. No, no, I, I, I just, I'm a history buff, not just in pro wrestling. Like I watch documentaries like four nights a week. I'm watching just something is history related. So Mike, that's my degree. Like I went to school (laughs) for documentary filmmaking. Like, yeah, Yeah. this is just kind of who we are. And like, I kind of made my bones 
as a writer online was like a wrestling writer uh doing you know historical pieces like when i started writing for wrestle joy which uh, you know i don't anymore i pitched him i said everyone wants to write about what's going on today i said I'm, i have no interest in writing about a dynamite review or a raw review or talking about why you know bad bunny should be doing this i just i just don't have any interest in that what i want to talk about is who should be the black who should have been the black scorpion right yeah. and um that's a lot of the stuff i've been writing and just with the new job and stuff like i'm starting a new book a history book i'll talk about that at the end of the show oh um I just haven't done anything lately. So the fact mm -hmm. that we can kind of do this together is going to be a lot of fun. Cause again, I love between the sheets, been a guest on that show and you, we both love last laps fan. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to rip those dudes off. I think you and I can, can make this Mike and JD, right. Do, do our yeah. thing with it. Yeah, absolutely. And the first topic we have is Don Callis and Kenny Omega, a matter of family. And I thought it's so fitting so we were going to do a different topic this week. We're going to save that for next month. Uh, I just thought it was fitting because this week on Dynamite, um, Don Callis turned on his protege, his son, his son figure. And the the nephew of his mentor, the Golden Sheik, he turned on Kenny Omega in a poetic, poetic scene in AEW. Did you see the scar that Callis has in his head now? Dude, that's gnarly, bro. It's He's super like, gnarly. Yeah, Cause I thought the whole thing was a work. And then like, everyone's like, no, it's, it's, it's not a work. It's not a work. And I'm like, you guys don't know Don Callis. Like we know Don Callis. Oh, like, I know Don. Like, yeah. Yeah. Work he's a worker. worker. Like, yeah. If you think you've known a worker, he is the worker of all workers. Right. So I was like, he just gigged himself really hard. But no, when you see that thing on his oh. skull, I was like, never mind. Wasn't a work. <laughs> he looks like Abdullah with that thing on his yeah. head, man. Jeez. I think yeah. it's a fork out of his pants. Um, actually I had a screwdriver. So it kind of works. Yeah. So let me tell a story. Uh, when when Garrett decided to kind of branch out fight game media and what it was like the podcast and the writing and stuff like that, Justin and Nipper, our good friend, who's on the show last week, uh, him and I wrote for fight. Uh, what is it called? Oh, we were right. Fan sided. We both. Yeah. <laughs> it's late here in Chicago. Uh, we both wrote for fan sided together and became friends. So um, Justin's like, hey, I want to get you involved in this. And I was doing some all Japan pods with him. And he's like, why don't you write for the site too? And I'm like, all right. So to kind of get my feet wet again with writing, writing route wrestling, I did a story about how Chris Jericho's 25th anniversary podcast changed wrestling. Cause I remember this vividly. Mm -hmm. It was when it was the night that um, it was the WWE did a, did a, a show specific for Madison square garden specifically for WWE network. And it was yeah. Jericho's 25th anniversary. And I think it was Brock was on the show, but I don't remember who Brock wrestled. He was champ at the time, but that was, it might've been, it was called the beast or something like that. I forget. But I mean, Jericho had his 25th anniversary thing. And I remember he had Lance Storm, Don Callis and Lenny St. Clair, AKA Dr. Luther in the yeah. front row. And they all pointed it out. And I remember because I was listening to Callis's podcast at the time with Lance Storm. Oh yeah. No, no, it was before that. That's how he got banged with Don Callis talked about how he, that's, going to that show and doing a Jericho podcast. Jericho recorded a podcast with yep. those guys. And that got him back into it. Like that yeah. guy. And he was way back into the time. And then I kind of wrote this article about how that show got Callus back in. It got him doing the killing the town pod with storm. And that got him hooked up with new Japan with Kenny. Right. And he was doing that. And then that basically got him into impact. And then yep. that's also how you negotiated the Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega match. That changed everything, right? We, we springboarded to AEW. 
Yeah, the whole like, AEW. Legit, like, legitimately. And so the the podcast that uh, that I, I find this very interesting. So the podcast that got Callis the job was a a Winnipeg podcast with Storm yeah. with not Storm but with Jericho, Callis, and Omega. They kind of all met up in Winnipeg and they just did. They did one, and during that podcast, at one point, or it might have been afterwards, Callis told Omega, "Is like, hey, get me booked, kid." And because Callis was kind of a mentor to Omega, per your story, right? This is the the exact quote. So this is a quote from uh, Don Callis. So Callis was booking, uh, was booking, was booking shows in in uh, Winnipeg, and he said he he looks at Kenny Omega, and he said he was seventeen years old, green as grass, but he just moved differently than everyone else. He had explosion and almost a poetry by the uh, to the way he moved. And it just made him different. He said, I thought this kid's got something. And then he began to mentor Omega while he was booking shows and things like that. So he had been kind of a mentor to Kenny Omega since he was 17. He was doing that as a favor to his personal mentor, the Golden Sheik, who happened to be um, Omega's uncle. And then you fast forward all these years later, Omega's a big star. Callus has been out of the business for 15, 17 years, something like that. I've been working in government in Winnipeg. And then all of a sudden he said, hey, get me booked, kid. And next thing you know, Don Callis has an announcing job over New Japan. Well, Don Callis, was an, he did some announcing with WWE. And then, of course, when he got fired from WWE, he went to ECW and was Cyrus and him and Joey Styles. Yeah. When it was ECW on TNN, that was the announce team. And when Eric Bischoff was supposed to take over WCW, um, our friend John Muse was, would have been the cruiserweight booker for that show. Someday we'll get that story. Um Don Callis and Joey Styles were going to be the announce team for the new WCW. So again, mm -hmm. it was one of those, man, WCW going to business changed. I mean, like the, the, the world of wrestling is so different if that doesn't go out, but yeah, he was out from then and then he was back in. And so anyway, I write this article. It's the first thing I do for fight game it was easy. I just need to kind of get my, you know, flex my muscles, get started, kind of do my thing, right. Talk about history. Um, that gets posted. And I get a follow from Don Callis, maybe an hour later. And then he DMs me and goes, that's a really good article. Do you write for them frequently? I said, I just started. And uh, <laughs> he's like, well, I got a story for you if you're interested. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm always, I'm always interested. And he goes, I want to do, I want, I want to tell the story about me and Kenny, the relationship with me and Kenny Omega. And I said, why? And he's like, because I think it's a good story. And mm -hmm. so I go to Garrett and I'm like, all right. This just fell in my lap. So we had a conference, like a, I think it was a Zoom call with me, Garrett, and Justin. And I remember Garrett goes, what does he want? And I'm like, I don't know. But at the time, like, I don't care. Because, I mean, this is, and I had done interviews for fans before. I interviewed Lance Archer, Hammerstone, Vance Warner. Uh, I think I did Fatu. Like, I, so I've done my handful of, of wrestler interviews before. But I'm like, this is, it felt different. Right. Even though it just because at the time he's president of impact and I'm like, yeah. I'm thinking maybe he wants to push impact, but he started doing stuff with AEW with commentary. Like I knew something was up, but I didn't know what. And I figured I'm like, so I'm not going to know what until I do it. So he's like, yeah, let's let's just do it. I don't know where this goes, though. I said, me neither. Let's just go. So I had this Zoom interview with Don Callis. I said six words. <laughs> he just monologued. Boom. He knew exactly what he wanted, which again, maybe go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i just let him go and let him talk i, I still had the zoom conference call the video call with the two of us me with the one oh, with man the one. yeah I, i'm not that, I, you want to see that I, sh I should share that with you sometime no one's ever heard uh, that before yeah i wonder if we would have permission to just put that on like probably not Patreon. 
probably not, no. not because they did not give me permission to do that. Um, oh, if you okay. still followed me on Twitter, I would. Um, yeah. I would I would ask, hey, can I do this? So anyways, so we have this conversation and I went and I'm like, I have to write the best article I've ever written. I have to. So I said, yeah. this is too cool not to. So again, that's I do. I think it's the best article I ever wrote. So I wrote that up and uh, he goes, can I see it? And I never told anybody this before. And I'm like, you are doing something. You are up to something. And I said, okay. So I let him see it. I probably I shouldn't do that as a journalist, but I'm not a journalist. I'm a fiction writer. That right. is what I do. That is where I make my bones. And you're, I'm like, I'm like a fiction writer and historian. And not, a historian. Not exactly a journalist. Yeah. No, I'm not a journalist. I should not have done that. I never told anybody this before. But I planted a line in the story just to see what would happen. I planted a line that said, Callus doesn't know if he'll ever return to AEW. Oh no, I wrote Callus doesn't say never is never about coming back to AEW. But for now, it would be impossible with Impact Blah Blah. He goes, ah, man, and I don't want to set people. I said, this line here, he goes, I'd like you to get rid of that. I said, why? He's like, well, I don't want to get people's hopes up because I can't do anything with my Impact contract right now. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I changed the one line of the story. Never told anybody that before. That's you and me, first time I've mentioned that because yeah. it's not very, I don't write anymore. So I can just say, Hey, I just, you know, I'm not, I have no integrity. So not pretending right. to. So I did, wrote this story, went viral, went absolutely mm. viral. Like, um, I got a ton of followers with it. No jobs. No one offered me work post to post that article, but that's okay. Actually, you did just you. You're the, the <laughs> yeah. Combat Republic well, was the only site yeah, that picked but me I, up after. But I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't even realize people got paid for this stuff until Garrett asked me to write for him. So <laughs> hey I, I was writing movie reviews for you and I I had a great yeah. time. That's how we became friends. Yeah. Yeah. So um so yeah I wrote that up and it was I got everywhere. I remember the observer picked it up. Uh, Sean Ross Sapp took the line about uh Jericho and Omega would have come to impact if AEW wasn't a thing. That was yeah. the uh Again, he knew what he was doing. That was the news blip that got the story shared. And Garrett still says it's the most shared thing on the site. So flash forward, like probably a month and a half later, was Winter is Coming, right? Mm -hmm. The match with Omega and Moxley, the title well, match. Well, right before that was, Rev not Revolution, what's the November pay-per-view? Full Gear. Full Gear. So he actually did commentary Full he Gear. Commentary Full Gear. He didn't do anything there. So everybody's like, what the hell is he doing here? So mm -hmm. main event of full gear in 2020 is Moxley and Omega for the world title. Um, and I, I did the interview after full gear. That's why okay. I planted. That's why I planned the line. Okay. Cause that's, cause yeah, he tied winter's, it. Yeah. Winter is coming was shortly after full gear it was a few weeks later. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he, he was on commentary at full gear and everybody's like, what the hell is Callus doing here? And well, Callus, if you guys remember, at the original All In, Callus was the commentator, yes, right? He was. Like, because he was the New Japan commentator. Also, he was the Impact Wrestling commentator. Impact also had a lot of talent on that show. Well, so we're just like, oh, well, maybe they just, maybe they just worked out a deal. This is what I was thinking as like, just as a viewer, maybe they just worked out a deal because Don, Ka nobody can commentate Kenny Omega matches like Don Callis. Like. I've never he's Bobby Heenan level when he's commentating on Kenny Omega. Not so much for everybody else, right? But it's like when 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 Heenan was commentating for Flair, oh, he yeah. was like at another level. That's the same level Callus and Omega when they're together. Um so yeah, he he does the commentary there. Nothing happens. Literally, he, he says, oh, "Okay, thank you guys. Uh, I appreciate you having me." Shook Winter's, Ross's hand and left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he cuz in Impact, he's a babyface, you know, color commentator. Right, he'd actually done some angles where he was like a babyface 
kind of authority figure. He had gotten beat up by Sammy Callahan one time. Mm-hmm. And so they, they had done some stuff like that. So he's on TV. He's a baby face. So, and there he is. He's, he's doing commentary. Nothing happens. Shakes his hand. Well, then fast forward to uh, winter's coming. There he is again. And what say you? Huh. So I'm watching the show, right? And then all of a sudden Excalibur starts referencing stuff from my article. And the whole thing plays out. And Kenny wins the title. They do the whole thing where Kenny runs out. He's like, if you want to see this, you're going to have to watch Impact. Yeah. And I remember, I'm like, holy shit, they crossed over the <laughs> minutes and then it hit yeah. me what they were doing and i immediately i ran upstairs and told my wife and kid i'm like i because I, I got i i got worked and i was so happy about it because i got something <laughs> i created was used on the show and then i immediately grabbed my phone and i i, I dm callus because we had a little dm back and forth and i said you worked me you son of a you sob exclamation point and he goes that's something you can tell your grandkids lol <laughs> Oh man, that is that is fantastic. That is it was that is awesome. That is the history of how I got that about that article. And again, then then he unfollowed me a few months later. Um, well, he, he probably heard our podcast where we were talking shit about impact. <laughs> oh, that's a good point, actually. Yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't yeah. consider that. So yeah. that is uh, that is how I played a small role in kind of what happened in this. And I was just telling Andy about it to, before when he was doing bedtime. Um, because he was watching the show, he loves now what well, he loved Moxley. Now he loves Kenny because he likes the good guys. So he was yeah. super bummed when Moxley won. The other, even though he <laughs> loves John Moxley, he said Kenny was supposed to win. Moxley cheated. I said, Well, what happened last time they wrestled? Didn't Kenny cheat? And he's like, That's different. Kenny's a good guy now. Yeah, it's <laughs> so okay I, if Kenny does it because he's a good guy. I know he's a nice guy I, cheating. I know it sounds like some of the people in the Discord. Um so, so like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have, that is how I played a small role in all of this. And I just, I really appreciate this whole, this whole rivalry. Cause I really think that Don, that Don Kels, Kenny Omega and John Moxley are the lifeblood of AEW as a promotion. Cause like yeah. when AEW started, what was it? You were cobbling together this Island of Misfit toys of who was available at the time. And the two biggest guys that were available, they had Jericho, but you also had Kenny Omega and John Moxley, right? Dean Ambrose. When Mox, when Ambrose, when I think it was Keller broke the story in early 2019 that Ambrose would not be resigning with WWE, everybody speculated that he was just going to leave wrestling, right? That was what they said. Well, he's not going to come back. It's just going to be, he's going to do some movies. Maybe he comes back in the future. You know, Moxley's terrible, or uh, Ambrose is hard to work with. Blah blah blah, and if you watched the last like six seven months of his eight, of his WWE run, it was awful, absolutely awful. And um, I remember the day his contract comes up, they put that video up on the internet, right? The Moxley breaking out of prison, and people like, well, this has to be WWE, it has to be a WWE video because look how good it looks. And I just and again, video guy laughing my ass with like, it's anyone can shoot a good looking video. You just have to have a nice camera and a dude who knows how to use it. Come on, man. And then he shows up, right? Shows up at double or nothing, got gets the big reaction, and immediately goes after Kenny Omega. So again, you have this guy, this WWE guy, right? Former WWE, multiple time WWE world champion, against the biggest Gaijin star in New Japan. A match that six months ago nobody would have thought was possible, and that's how you close your first show. You have two dudes that they came up together, like running mm-hmm. in similar circles in the Indies, right? But then their careers went wildly different ways. And then you have 
these two diametrically opposed forces coming together that, that nobody thought. And again, that first, the first Moxley Omega rivalry was very new Japan. They're both baby faces, but they freaking hate each other. And it's just based on competitiveness, right? You think you're the best. No, I think I'm better and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right. That was the whole basis of the first, Kenny Omega, John Moxley rivalry. And that really defined what AEW was going to be. AEW was going to be this place for, you know, guys who have, who could come up in Japan and have that work race style or guys who don't quite fit in the WWE system. And you took, well, if you watch those two, you will not have two diametrically opposed wrestlers than John Moxley and Kenny Omega. They're polar opposites. But for some reason, when they get in the ring together, it's amazing. Like they have the most un. Mm -hmm believable chemistry and they've only wrestled four times in four you know who, you know who it reminds me of and i don't know if people will lynch me for this one but bret hart and stone cold after stone cold got injured right broken broken neck stone cold where he's just a brawler at this point and then you have like the great technician and the great storyteller in bret hart and then you got stone cold who is now just this brawler like i, I kind of see it like like that and in even whenever they wrestled in 96 and they did some tours in, in uh, early 97 before he broke his neck like that was a great rivalry too at, at that point too but i just i just see moxley and omega kind of being that for these guys you know i see i see flair and funk and that okay, 89 yeah, oh yeah yeah that's great too yeah that's a great that's a great that's a great one absolutely um so before before we get more into Moxley and Omega, um, I I was just kind of scrolling your article, and I really wanted there there was a part in your article that I wanted to touch on, and I just want to sure. read some of it verbatim because I thought hey, it's great writing, but b there's a couple of funny lines in here that I wanted to to um, to talk about. So I had referenced earlier about they did the podcast with um, Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, and uh, Don Callis, and after the podcast is over. Don says, I said to him, good luck in Japan. Get me booked, kid. Get me booked. It's just an old school throwaway line. It's just something you say. Um, but then at that point, that springboarded Kenny Omega to then go back to New Japan. And he had been trying to get him booked as a color commentator on New Japan's English broadcast. The New Japan office felt that Kenny Omega having his own commentator would add to weight to the character, especially during Okada, the Okada rivalry. New Japan booker Ghetto's first suggestion was the legendary Bret Hart. Omega declined, saying Hart was great, but they, they should use Callus, who he called family. Um, New Japan office was unfamiliar with Callus's work, and apparently they missed uh, when ACW had its most exposure. Omega referred Tiger Hattori to Callus and Storm's podcast. The New Japan office uh, was so impressed with the work, they made an instant offer to Lance Storm. And this is a great quote from uh, Callus. He said, Lance has many great qualities, but being a great talker is not at the top of his list. Uh, this is like them calling me for the Super J Cup. It just doesn't make any sense. Word um, for word. And then, yeah, word for word. I, I, I really, I really, I really thought that that was uh, that that was great. That that Omega went to New Japan office said this is family, and the New Japan tried to meet him halfway, and then they kind of like Johnny Ace, they booked the wrong Canadian, right? Johnny Ace booked the wrong one-legged wrestler. They actually reached out to Lance Storm to hire him. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> Well, to be fair, I think Lance Storm, because again, you listen to him and Brian on Figure Four weekly every week now. I think Lance Storm's gotten much, much better as a podcaster over the years. Like, yeah. I think this version of Lance Storm is far and away more comfortable with the microphone than any version we've ever had. But can you imagine Lance Storm on commentary? No, he just doesn't have the personality for it. No, There's, no, you need you need emotions, and um, that's just something that he just doesn't have. Like, and he will be the first one to tell you that. But Callus kind of, I think that he was the best color commentator from like 2017 all the way up until he got signed by AEW. 
Oh, hundred percent. Uh, yeah, hundred percent, man. I love that era, and that's like the golden era of New Japan, right? When you had it yeah. was Kevin Kelly and Don Callis. That was like, yeah, that was my favorite commentary team from like again twenty sixteen on, right? Mm-hmm. That's when I think they started doing that. Like, God, yeah. that's a long time ago now. But that was they were really good together. Like Don again, he played this Bobby Heenan esque role, and Kevin knew his role, but he was a little monsoonish. And again, always with Kenny, it was it was so great. It was totally Flair and Heenan. Totally flare and heated, mm-hmm. and it, it it just clicked. It clicked so well together. I just never thought they would take it to the next level. Where ha- I never saw Callis being his manager. I, that never occurred to me that that is what they were doing. Because man, because the guy is never a manager. Like even after hearing that the Golden Cheek was Callis's manager, you know, like yeah. it never it never clicked to me that that's where it was going. You know, it never it never clicked to me that it would going that it would be going that way either, especially when Callis, essentially him and Scott Demore, they became EVPs of Impact Wrestling because Anthem, they were they were about to shit can the whole operation because Anthem, when they bought Impact Wrestling, they immediately hired Jeff Jarrett to be the president. And Jeff was just in a bad way, right? Yeah. And Anthem got in the deep end. They didn't know what the hell they were getting involved in. Like I said, when Anthem first took over, they started hiring fans to come to the to, to come to the venues in, in Canada because they just didn't know exactly how to run this operation. So they, they brought in Jeff Jarrett. Jeff is not doing so well. And then they're getting ready to just can the whole thing. But Scott Demore had been working there a little bit, helping out Jeff. And he, he um, Chris Jericho reached out to Anthem, to Lynn Asper, because Lynn Asper, Winnipeg guy, and said, hey, I got Scott Demore and I got Don Callis. I really think that you should have a conversation with them. And then they went to a pitch meeting essentially and pitched themselves as the EVPs and the plans that they would have for impact wrestling. And that was in 2017. And six years later, impact wrestling is getting sold shows in Australia. Right. So like that turned out to be a a very good thing for Anthem because Anthem was getting ready to can this whole operation. So, you know, Callis comes in, he takes over. And then at that point I was like, okay, they had the all in thing, but once AEW became a company at in 2019, I just never thought that there would be any type of cross pollination between the two promotions. Why would you? Just, well, and that's just not something. That's just not something you did in North America, right? Like you, like like back in the day, TNA would bring in Ring of Honor talent, but TNA thought of Ring of Honor as kind of like an indie promotion, and mm-hmm. TNA just didn't have talent, so they would use a lot of that stuff. But for the most part, you never really cross pollinated. So we 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 get we get to winter is coming. Kala shows up, and he's on commentary. Boom, he comes in, does the big screw job over Moxley. Uh, Omega gets the title, and then him and Callis are heading out of the venue. And a very similar scene just played out this past, just last night, by the way, on, on Dynamite. They're heading out of the venue. You had brought that, um, that Callis tells Alex Narvez, well, if you want to know the answer to this, you got you to tune in next Tuesday on Impact on XS TV. And the next thing you know, Kenny Omega, out of nowhere, is on Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling, which was on Death's Door a couple of years prior to that, um, and really had no no traction in the marketplace whatsoever. Um, Kenny Omega shows up on Impact. How crazy is that? Well, that's kind of again th- that is really what got us all here, right? We don't have a podcast if Kenny Omega doesn't jump onto Impact, right? Because you had met, you had carved yourself a nice little spot as the Impact guy, right? Yeah, and that's when I first got to know you. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, Mike likes Impact. Wow, okay. Like that was, right, that was my loser. first thought. That's my what, first thought. What an I'm asshole like, that guy is. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I had I loved before Anthem took over Impact. I was really a big fan of TNA 2016, 
right? The shoestring budget when it was on pop TV. And I will talk about that roster up and down. They had a fan, like half of them are in WWE now. The other half of them are in AEW. It was EC3 and Drew McIntyre and um, uh, all, Nick Aldis. Matt and Jeff Hardy had revitalized their careers. The original version of Decay, the Billy Corrigan booked TNA shows were a lot of fun. Like mm-hmm. I really enjoyed watching Impact in that that year specifically because it was just so different than what WWE was doing. And again, now the cinematic matches are, are played out and they, I hate them. But at the time when Matt Hardy did the final deletion and stuff like that, it was it, it got super buzzed because it was just so different. It was like, okay, like, oh, it's like the room, but with wrestling. And yeah. it got a lot of people to watch and it got a lot of people talking about impact. Like Matt Hardy kind of put the company on his back. Really? He was the one people were talking about. Like he was doing podcasts everywhere and getting people excited about the product. And if you turned in Bobby Lashley, like the, the roster they had at the time was really good. It wasn't all great, but I mean, like there was some good stuff like yeah. again, hit or miss on most of them. But I mean, the show was watchable. There was a rumor. I'll never forget because I was working at a football game at the time. I was shooting a football game and I, got, I was looking at my phone. I'm, walking, I'm on Twitter and I see that the rumor flying is WWE has bought has bought TNA and they're adding mm. it to the and like that went crazy for about a good three or four days. And to this day, I don't know what happened. I don't know if there were serious talks about WWE buying TNA or if that was just internet speculation that went crazy over a weekend. Do you uh, do you know the story? <laughs> I don't know the story behind that. I remember, I remember the rumors because Dixie, um, she was trying like hell to keep the company and Billy Corgan was suing her. And I think the, mm-hmm. the Harris twins had like, they oh, were trying yeah. to purchase it, you know, they, the Aerolux entertainment yeah. out of, out of uh, Tennessee. Um, but thankfully, you know, Anthem, they owned the fight network and TNA was the number one show on the fight network. Um, and, and honestly, Fight and Fight Network had just lost UFC, so uh, UFC was on Fight Network. They lost UFC, and so really all they had was TNA at this point. So they felt it was necessary to keep TNA. And Lynn Asper, um, the CEO of Anthem, always wanted to get into American media, and he felt like this was his way into it. And sure enough, he was right because so they 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 bring him in, and the next thing you know. They buy Access TV, not a big station, but that was his way in. And now, and then he just bought an American MMA company. So they're kind of like, they're like players on the American, you know, combat sports television and music television scene. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, Impact was on death's door. I thought they were, you know, I, I never really thought that they would be here after all that stuff with Corrigan and Dixie and Aerolux oh, so and ugly. all this stuff. And it, despite some of the shows being fun to watch, like the drama surrounding it just made you not even want to give it a chance because you're like, how long is this even going to last? Why would I invest myself in any of this? You know what I mean? But it got worse that first year that Anthem was in, right? It, the, yeah. When they brought Jeff in. Right and and me and they brought Bruce too. I believe Bruce Pritchard they, would. Actually they, they they brought they brought Bruce and they brought Jim Cornette in and they were just characters on the on the show. They weren't. I forgot about they weren't, Cornette. They weren't they weren't booking or anything. Yeah, Cornette came in and fired Bruce um, <laughs> on on television. Remember, and then okay. when Anthem moved operations back up to Canada for a while, they're like, "Oh, Jim Cornette's like, well, I'm not going to Canada, you know." So he he uh, he he left the company at that point. But yeah, it. That, that first year was really bad, and well, remember, uh, Demore and Callis balanced it out. 
it ceased being TNA, right? And it yeah. became Global Force, right? Like yeah. the Global Force titles took over everything. And it was Jeff's, remember, Jeff was, again, not in a good place, Jeff Jared. He had this Global Force thing. He was trying to get off the ground. Remember, they had the minor league baseball stadium tour. Yeah. And Cody was the next gen champion. Like it was basically <laughs> their X division ripoff. Believe it or not, Cody Rhodes, who just headlined one of the biggest grossing events of all time, was there at the Global Force Next Gen Champion feuding with a Moose, and he had Brandy Rhodes with him. <laughs> Dressed like Hal Jordan, Cody Rhodes, with that yeah. aviator bomber jacket. Like this, man, you look back at some of those things, it's wild. And that's when Bobby, that's when Bobby Lashley started getting kind of cool, actually. That's when you got heel Bobby Lashley with um uh the top team guys and what can't what's his name the the, the guy who wants top team dan lambert that was yeah, our dan first lambert. taste of dan lambert in professional wrestling and, Col- and they brought colby covington onto the scene too yeah i forgot about that they yeah brought, that's like, what that's where colby learned how to be a heel took that character character to ufc and became one of their bigger stars and became a millionaire like yeah that yeah. was crazy so i mean they but the tv was just really bad and then they lost the hardys and that's like they really started getting people turned against them at that point with things yeah. went really south with the Matt and Jeff Hardy renegotiation. And they wind up back in WWE really good moment for one of my favorite WrestleMania moments actually is when the Hardys come back. Yeah. That, was, that was really cool. But like, so Jeff's out Demore and Callis come in and impact is really born, right? This is like, this is really the birth yeah. of impact wrestling, not yeah. TNA, not global force. Yeah, yeah. So TNA dies. Global Force stays with Jeff, right? Because they was just like a some type of side deal that they had where they were going to merge the two companies. Um, and yeah, and so but Callus and Demore were like, "Look, TNA is a dumb name." They were right. Uh, right. Unfortunately, that was the name that people knew the company by, and to this day, people still call it TNA every once mm-hmm. in a while. Um, but so they they eliminate the name, and really what they and they got rid of a lot of the bigger <coughs> contracts: Bobby Lashley, Drew Galloway. A lot of these guys that were making uh, EC3, they got rid of a lot of those big, big contracts. They brought in, they made a deal with Lucha Underground, started bringing in guys like Brian Cage and the Lucha Brothers and um, Johnny uh, Mundo. He became Johnny Impact with with them. So they really started to balance the books. And next thing you know, they're they're like, look, they're not they're not hitting grand slams or anything, but they're they're becoming solvent, right? They have they have like you know decent storytelling, right? And, um, but they're not like a big company. They're working small venues. The lighting's not that great. The production isn't great, but they're, they're back in business. They're, they're doing some stuff. And then slowly, but surely they start to get a little bit of a bigger budget. And the next thing, you know, Callus makes this deal with AEW and they bring in Kenny Omega. They popped the, the, the biggest rating on access that they ever had <coughs> of 226,000. That was the, the live viewing. The replay had another couple hundred thousand. They had um, like a million on YouTube, a million on Facebook. One of the most watched Im- episodes of Impact of the of the. It's the, literally the most watched of the Anthem era, right? They bring him in in the midst of one of the worst TV shows I've ever seen in my life. Oh, good uh, god! It was it was just so it was terrible. But they 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 bring him in, and next thing you know, they go to Hard to Kill. Um, Callus is right there with Omega at Hard to Kill. They do a trios match there. Eventually, they set up um, a world title match at Rebellion later that April in 2021. And Omega then becomes the world champion of Impact. And then now he's the world champion of Impact. And he's the world champion of AEW. And we got belt collector Kenny Omega. And you got Don Callis by his side in the um, you know, in the Bobby Heenan role and Kenny Omega in the Nick Bockwinkle role. And they're all these guys are off and running, man. I love this era of AEW. I really did. Yeah. 
Kenny walking around with four belts because they've dust Moose for some reason dusted off the TNA title. At the time. <laughs> yeah. And we we're yes. like, why is Moose doing oh, because Kenny needs another belt. Yeah. I always wondered this. Again, they start now in Impact War, they start this Kenny Omega thing a week after Rich Swan had just won the Impact title. So from moment one, Rich Swan, we all see the end coming for Rich Swan. My yeah. question to you is this happens in December. Yeah. Kenny and doesn't win the title till April. That's yeah. five months. Did they wait too long to put the belt on Kenny Omega? I think they did. I think because again, I, they couldn't they couldn't keep the momentum going. They tried, and again, we this is what we started our show during. This is like I think hard to kill was when we Jeremy will correct me on this. I think sacrifice. Hard to, sacrifice. 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 It was Moose, Moose and Swan. Sacrifice. That was the title. It was the unification. T- title, right? title for title. Yep. <clears throat> Absolutely. So that's yeah. when we first, that's when the show was born. So I maintain, and again, it sucked for Rich because I'm thinking the whole time is Rich Swan is not going to. When Kenny showed up with the bus, you know, with that AEW title, and remember they had Rich Swan standing outside the bus holding the Impact title, he looked like such a jabron at that moment. <laughs> yeah. He did. Like it, he just. It was really swallowed up by the moment, which I think happened again when they had their eventual match. Right? Mm-hmm. Kenny gets good matches out of everybody, and the Swan match wasn't bad, but Swan again, I don't think he was out of shape. I think he just blew up because he got swallowed up by the moment in an empty arena. Yeah, got swallowed up by the moment. Yeah, you know. So um, I I was of the opinion that they should have done it to Hard to Kill, um, but Impact and Callis and Demore. They like slow builds and leading to a crescendo into like a big pay-per-view kind of like that's what they did with Josh Alexander and Moose. And they were trying to do that with Alexander and Macklin, but Alexander got hurt. And so they kind of had to throw something together at the last minute. But those are the types of stories that they like to tell. They like them to be um, to be longer and drawn out and they don't care about ratings one bit. And I no. honestly don't think they care about buy rates either. They're just they're just creating content out there. That's just how they operate. Right. I think they love buy rates. Um, but I, and to this day, I couldn't tell you if hard to kill with Kenny Omega versus Swan would have done a better buy rate than rebellion versus Kenny Omega or Swan. Cause I did think that the, the couple weeks leading up to rebellion, the way that they promoted that match was probably the best promoted match they've ever done. Yeah, I they agree. brought they brought you know they had a press conference they had like MMA boxing media pro wrestling media doing all kinds of stuff they had documentary series filming Rich Swan and and Kenny Omega they 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 went all out for that thing so I think that they thought that because of this I think this thing fell into their laps it came together at the last second mm-hmm. when Kenny Omega showed up on that episode they had they had like two and a half months in the can at that point. So I just don't think they were they were willing to spend the money to bring everybody back to reshoot everything, restructure the entire pay per view, and then throw a world title match at the end on on top of it. So they felt it would be better to go to Rebellion in April, which was a mistake because the, yeah. those shows weren't very good, and yeah. that was really there was a lot of people getting their first taste of Impact Wrestling because of Kenny Omega, and they turn into the show and you get like Wrestle House which is to this day mm-hmm. the worst thing this company has ever done. And I yeah. rallied on so many of the Undead Realm stuff, but I mean, Wrestle House was just, is the shits. It's absolutely mm-hmm. awful. And I don't even remember the rest of the show. I remember not liking it and not tuning in again for a few months. I yeah. think that it was a huge 
mistake to not just run with this immediately because you had attention, right? You had so many extra eyeballs on you and the show you, they should have revamped the show. Cause again, it felt like it was, it felt like it was happening in a different universe at the time. Cause it might as well have been, cause nothing else about the promotion was referencing or, or like playing along with well, this particular storyline. And then other than Kenny Omega having the title on AEW, AEW didn't really talk about Impact very much. You no. might see a commercial that Impact would pay for, but they they didn't really cross-pollinate. That whole thing was just a deal made so that way Kenny Omega could have a couple of title belts a- around him. That's that's all that was. And I think because Tony Khan's just a big fan of Ultimo Dragon, you know, and like and 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 like that look, I, I think that's all that was about. They they didn't really do any cross promotion. The closest thing we got to cross they didn't even do anything for the Rich Swan match. They never no. I don't think they advertised it at all. No, like, and it was an AEW shocking. world title match. It, it, yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, and they said, No, I'm not promoting it. And I and I think and I think that was the foul on AEW. I just didn't think that yeah, they're like, okay, well, we're letting our guy go over there. That's all we're gonna do. And it's like, well, guys, you could have you could have said, Hey, we have an AEW world title match this Sunday. Rich Swan could be here on Dynamite next week as the AEW world champion, but they 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 just chose not to mention it at all, which I think they've done to other people. Like I think they did that to AAA before too. So so here's my question about that. Is that a TN? Is to me? Is that a TNT thing? Is this a Turner thing where they don't want? Because again, they don't get to reference a lot of the Ring of Honor stuff unless it's doing with BR with BR. So I'm wondering because that pay per view is not a Turner thing or a W Warner Brothers, I guess at the time. Is that one reason why they couldn't promote it? I don't know because um, AEW went above and beyond to not call the impact championship, the impact world heavyweight championship. They just called it the impact title because they didn't want anybody that's thinking that's very WWE. Yeah. It, 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 it's a very insecure way to think, right? Cause mm-hmm. impact, everybody knows impact is much smaller. Everybody knows that the AEW title is more prestigious, right? So you didn't have to really like downplay its importance. And that's kind of what they did. Even when they had, so, you know, you fast forward, he gets the title, Right. He, he defends against Moose. Pretty good match. Um, mm-hmm. He he, def- he defended in, I thought, the one of the, the better matches of his series in Impact. He defends it against Sam McCallahan. But at this point, he's just beat up, right? He's ready to stop work because he was working AAA, Impact, and AEW. Um, and so they, they want to get the title off of him. But Khan's not going to let Omega lose on Impact. So they on the debut of Rampage, they have Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage for the impact championship. And they went out of their way, even with Scott Demore on commentary to call it the impact title. They would not call it the world heavyweight championship. And then we had an impact title change on AEW television. And then, but then we also had the rematch that, that main evented the biggest AEW per pay-per-view of all time. The biggest thing about that, the biggest AEW pay-per-view of all time was Uh, up to uh, that point. uh, Up to that point. Yeah. Cause punk came in a year later. Punk came in the year. That was the show. That was the show that Punk came in. I was I was there. I'm misremembering it. Okay, so yeah, tw- yeah, that, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Absolutely. No, you, you know, I remember now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so, yeah, no. So they they did they did have the Impact Champion. I don't think they referenced him as the Impact Champion all that much. He was there. He, he was, was still, there as well. Okay, so not only was, that, he was there, and they also had the Good Brothers were there with their Impact titles. So I mean, the yeah, close- that's true because he was he was the lackey. They were the lackeys for uh, Omega. They, yeah, that's well, true. That's that's what they are. The Good Brothers yeah. are lackeys. <laughs> that's what they're really good at. They're lackeys in yeah. New Japan. They're lackeys in WWE. They're just 
good lackeys. Excellent. Yeah. At it. But so no, we got your, I don't remember if they did. I can, I want to go back and watch those shows. Cause I don't remember if they called Christian the world champion. Cause remember a month later I was down there in Nashville watching Christian and Ace yeah. Austin blow the roof off that tiny little studio yeah. in Nashville. So here's great my match. question too. I uh, another point it was a great match. Does the fact that Impact was running empty studio, not even empty arena, empty studio shows, and the AW again, this is where we got to turn back to the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. That was a different era, and those Impact shows were weird, right? Yeah, where they had the fake audience. Is that a bad look? From if you're like, I think they should have had Rich Swan on Dynamite, and I I'm still shocked to this day they did not bring Rich Swan onto Dynamite to do anything to promote that but is the fact that it was empty arena or empty studio play a factor in that you think that AEW didn't want to be associated with that because again they were playing in in jacksonville but they had like people right yeah well and they they had the big stage they had the big screens and then impact was in a small television studio mm-hmm. and it looked you know not even second rate you know you had the thunder you had the thunderdome over in wwe so what, what, and that would look like, you know, first rate. And then you had the, you had the wrestlers over as the audience members in AEW at the time in, uh, in Jacksonville. So that's probably second rate. And then you had a few steps down is impact nice little studio, but still it's just a, a little TV studio. It, it, and it had just this weird, weird look and weird feeling. Yeah. Weird. I, I, th- I think, I think it is possible that they just kind of were like, you know, impact is kind of like it's a little bit low rate, um, but we like having those titles around because, you know, a lot of our talent came from there. Mm-hmm. Right. So if people know who impact is, they're not watching it right now, but they remember back when it was like a big deal. Now, here's another thing. Does this like, we talk about the pandemic? Does this whole thing even happen if we're not in the pandemic? I don't think so. No, me neither. Yeah, I don't I, I, I don't think so. I think that was just. Like, like they were all just trying to, to, you know, create content out of nowhere. And, you know, and so it was just like, it, it, it didn't make, it honestly never really made sense for, um, for AEW and impact to work together. If you're thinking about for AEW, it didn't really bring them up at all. Uh, I thought it was awesome. And I thought it was a cool thing, but I think the only reason they did it is because Callis had a contract with impact. He was not only a contracted talent, as the ring announcer or the, the color commentator, he was executive. also the executive vice president. Mm-hmm. So he had those contracts and they were just trying to get callous and they wanted to do this turn and they wanted to pop a rating and they wanted to get to that big revolution pay-per-view. Work. And they, and they knew that callous was the guy for the job. I think this whole thing that the whole deal between impact and AEW was really just so AEW can get callous away from impact. And so callous is like, we'll do this, but you got to throw my guys a bone. We need him. We need Kenny Omega. And then we'll put the title on Kenny Omega and then we'll do that whole thing. And then they've, and then once Kenny Omega lost the title to Christian, um, he never came back, but Christian did work some shows. Right. And he did. Um, he ended up working a bound for glory. He tapped out to Josh Alexander in the main event of their, one of their bigger shows of the year. So, and then, you know, I think they, they sent Kazarian over there and now Kazarian ends up um, staying with impact. So they, you know, they, they, they've worked together since then, but, I, I think that was really, it was just it. It was, you know, Don Callis was, they felt Callis was so important to the Kenny Omega character that they were willing to work with Impact um, to get that. I don't think it's the last time you'll see a um, Impact presence on AEW television. 
right? I don't think it's like a um, an everyday thing, but they said we'll no. work together again. And there have been incidences where you know you've seen yeah. some impact stuff. So I, I think it'll it'll happen again at some point. I I always look back to you know, um, you say Kenny never came back. Kenny only worked like two more matches before he was out for like a year. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so he was in bad. He had a torn labrum and a torn groin during his, while he was the belt collector. So I think that this belt collector gimmick gave new life to Kenny Omega. Cause we couldn't have people always like, man, the cleaner Kenny Omega is so much better than the AEW one. Well, yeah. Cause that guy wasn't hurt. Yeah. Right. Kenny Omega is going to turn 40 this year. He's a beat up human being from wrestling, the style of wrestling that he does. And this, that gimmick gave him new life and gave his title reign something else. And again, because it was the pandemic, it needed a little something. Maybe mm-hmm. Kenny could have been, you know, classic Kenny Omega if we were playing to empty or, or playing to full arenas. But because the world was what it was, and it was like that for a year, man, mm-hmm. like, a year we lived like isn't that crazy? It seems so long ago already. Yeah, but like I think that I think that they needed. I would love to if I ever got a chance to interview Tony Khan, I would ask him, "What would you have done with that if you had?" It would because I he always said the plan was to go from Jericho, Moxley, Kenny, Hangman. That was the plan yeah. to go with up. What would the Kenny Omega title one have looked like? If it was in normal times. Yeah. Would it have evolved the way that it did? Because I think that when it evolved at the, it evolved at the right time and it was a necessary evolution mm-hmm. um, for the time that they were in because they needed a world champion um, that could cut promos. And then he had a manager that can cut some of the damnedest promos you've ever heard in your life. Right. And so they needed a different type of character. So they got their Ric Flair and Heenan, they got their Bockwinkle and Heenan. Um, and I, I, I think, that everything ended up working out. And plus with him doing that character, kind of being more of a chicken shit, like he, he didn't have to do as much as, as he normally would do as the cleaner who went balls to the wall every match and had to give you five-star matches with goddamn Joey Janela. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and he was, and he was, but that Janela yeah. match was actually really good. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah. Best match Joey Janela ever had. Um, I, I do. I think that he needed, you needed that version of Kenny Omega one, because why are you going to kill yourself when nobody's around? I mean, like they basically did. We had the, the barbed wire exploding death match in front of nobody. And then like, but the rest of the time, like you had to kind of preserve these guys. Cause again, why kill yourself when nobody is going to watch it? We, we were so unsure of where the world was going to go. Right. So looking back at like, at empty arena wrestling is such an interest it's such an interesting time capsule and i would love to know what he would because you're right they needed they needed a heel champion that could cut promos and that's not kenny he's gotten better at it but it's just mm-hmm. not it's just not what he does and again it makes perfect sense it, it, most of his stuff has been in japan and he speaks fluent yeah. japanese and that's like it works there but like the kenny omega character is very off-putting for some people that like traditional american wrestling because Kenny is just a different kind of guy. So I think he needed Don. I think he needed to find a different part of himself to to make that whole thing work. Because, I, I, you know, Tony doesn't like to if, – if there's a veer in the plans, he doesn't like to veer with them. Like Tony Khan is not a roll with the punches kind of guy. He's a I'm yeah. going to take six punches to the face while moving forward <laughs> kind of a guy. 
So yeah. I mean, like I think they had to figure out something else for Kenny, and I think it worked. Like I don't think AEW in 2021 is their best year, right? Yeah, by far. I don't. I don't think that 22 was pretty. The first half of 22 was pretty good, but tw- the second half of 21 and on was, was really good. Or no, the all 21 on. Um, I don't think they get there without Don Callis. I think Don Callis was a super underrated performer for the show in that era. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think he's pivotal to Kenny's success as the as the the heel champion. Um, after he lost the title, he ends up taking like a year off and then has kind of come back. He was part of a trio's you know, thing for a while. He ends up going back to New Japan and starting this whole feud with Will Ospreay Oof. over at New Japan and uh, reignited his feud here with Moxley. Callis just turned on him last night, and uh, we'll we'll see where that goes um, coming up here. I, 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 my prediction is that Callis will be in Will Ospreay's corner in the main event at All In at Wembley Stadium. Um, uh, and I don't know if that's a great idea or not. I just know that that match will fucking be awesome. The match will be awesome. I've kind of come around to it happening because – but again, pro wrestling is about storytelling. You know, again, yeah. I, I I like a good booking. I like a booking. I like a good narrative, right? I, I matches are fun. Like, but you said it on disc. I think you said it on the Voices Wrestling Discord. Like, we get four and five star matches all the time. Yeah, I don't even remember. I don't even remember good matches anymore. But no. I'm always gonna remember. I always remember this. I'm always gonna remember because I played a small part in it. The winter is coming, angle. Right, it's yeah. one of the best executed angles they've done. And this week, AEW's been real flat for the last like month and a half, maybe even longer. I think this dynamite was the best one they've done maybe all year. Mm-hmm. And, and the the match the match between Moxley and Omega it was it was fine. It was the <laughs> angle, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the angle is what we're gonna remember, right? And 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 of course the and how awesome the crowd was going for it. And I think that that was just one part of the swerve. I think the rest of the angle is coming. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we, we will be getting it soon. It's a multi-layered um, story that we're about to get. And it should be awesome. Well, people have, like say, well, AEW, they don't tell stories, right? They don't do stories. And then I saw some TikTok, some dork TikToker was posting things about criticizing this. Like nobody, everyone in AEW is just a, is just a good wrestler. And I'm like, yeah, we're watching wrestling. Like everyone yeah. talked like my, one of my least favorite things. People say, "Well, no one's a character." It's like, no, you don't want characters. You want caricatures. Like you want WWE when everybody had to have an extra job. You want Jeff Jarrett mm-hmm. as a country singer, not a wrestler. Like pro wrestling is at its best when dudes just want to wrestle. Like what was Roddy Piper's character? His pro wrestler talked a lot of shit. Yeah, and he and he wore and he wore the kilt, and he would take a lot of heat for it. And he had confidence issues because of that. He had like small man complex, right? Because but he was a wrestler. He was a wrestler. Right. But that, there were layers. Was a wrestler. But there's yes. layers. You're right. You're yeah, right. There's but layers. He, but he's not a character like you're saying, right? No, char- I mean, he's, character. He's a bad he's a, motherfucker. Char- a character, like, again, this is from a literary I said caricature is what caricature, I mean. Sure, yeah. A yeah. character is a well-rounded individual. a well-rounded person. You know, you have yeah. emotions. You have ideas you have concepts you have comp you're complicated right you have good things and bad things that's a character good aspects to your personality that's a character a caricature is something you can boil down to you know a, a simple pitch like he's a fireman mm-hmm. right he's a cowboy and wrestling lends itself well to caricatures but caricatures never go anywhere with the exception of the undertaker He's the mm-hmm. only one. He's the only one. And that character had to, that caricature had to become a character 
to be as long to have the longevity that it had. Yeah, and it that character that caricature evolved into a character mm-hmm. so where you got to know more in depth and more layers to it. And and same same thing with like you know some of the old cowboy wrestlers from from the past like you actually got to know Bill Watts, right? right. So and that once you got to know Bill Watts, you got past the the large frame and the cowboy hat and the and the vest and the cowboy boots, then you got to know more about him, then you got to see the depth of his character. So it's like a movie, right? The trailer for a movie just it just tries to invite you in. The high concept is what grabs you. Like you see the trailer for Star Wars, big movie in space. Okay, we're going to get some battles. What gets you invested is the characters, right? And there's the characters and their journey, and you become invested in the story. Without that, without characters, like real characters, real people that have real thoughts and, and fears and emotions and stories and a journey, without that, we're left with nothing. And this is why WWE has struggled for the vast majority of their of their of their existence, taking caricatures and making them interesting. Because they're mm-hmm. never meant to be. And if you can, like like the S.H.I.E.L.D. guys, they were never meant to be characters from day one. They were brought in day one ass kickers. These are guys yeah. you take seriously. And all three of them have been, again, one of them's in AEW now. But again, from day one, they were, you know, they didn't play those things. A lot of, it takes a lot of talent to overcome being a caricature and evolving. And the vast majority of people who get bookended into those silly caricatures never never go anywhere and never have stories that mean anything because again what's Sami Zayn and kevin owens there's no care i mean like when Sami Zayn was out there dressed like fidel castro he was just a dork mm-hmm. it's when we started seeing the character the emotion the wanting of acceptance these are character beats that is a story now that is not you know but again that's not about like having a gimmick that's about being a person that you can relate to, mm-hmm. right? And this is exactly what I really felt like Kenny Omega. And then what I liked about the Kenny Omega story was that this was a guy, and this is how I read this in my head, literary brain. This is a guy that proved himself overseas that comes here and can't seem to find himself. That's literally the story, right? Remember in Revolution, Kenny, when, when him and the hangman split up, Kenny Omega saying, nope, it's or, or double nothing, I forget. He's like, nope, it's over. Nope, bring it back to cleaner. Like, he was unable to connect as an with an american audience that this is the story he's unable to be the guy that he was so he has to become something different Mm -hmm. that is the kenny omega journey in aew that is a well written nuanced character hangman page big time with the social anxiety problems that he has and like the anxious millennial cowboy right these are character beats mjf has them too like it's why I, I I see this and it's like, it's not true, right? It, there's so many examples of, again, it's not everybody, but only your, only your main characters should have these things. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your tertiary characters don't need them because they're only there to support the guys, the story drivers, right? That makes sense. No, that, that, that makes total sense. Uh, you know, and we'll, we're, we're going to go ahead and uh, sign off here in a second, but I just, Josh Alexander, I thought was a great example of the things that you were just talking about. hundred percent. Yeah. His, his story of, um, of, you know, breaking his neck, retiring, becoming a construction worker, and then finding his way back into pro wrestling, being a part of that tag team. And then your, your article, the heart of a weapon that was on 
that uh, did some did some good business for Fight Game Media, for telling that whole story, and then and then him uh, winning the world title over Christian, um, and then losing it immediately, and then having to regain it back from Moose. I thought was a great one year story that uh, that happened with Josh Alexander. So, um, but hey, I you know I. Um, guys, uh, if you like what we did this week, uh, please let us know if you have any suggestions of any types of stories that you want us to cover. Um, we, we have a list of the things that we want to talk about, but coming up next month, um, uh, we're, we're going to hit you with something awesome. Um, right now, I believe right now we're going to do black scorpion, right? We're going to do the black scorpion next month. We're going to talk about the black scorpion and who it should have been, who it ended up being and who we think that it should have been. Uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about that next month right here on uh, fight game media plus. Uh, head over, stay here, stick it here, Fight Game Media, patreon.com slash Fight Game Media. Head us up on the free feed, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And we are out.